interviewing top sports personalities from around the nation in order to provide you next-level insight and analysis into your Cleveland Browns. Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland. And now, here is your host, Brad Ward. Welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland. It is September 16th, the year 2021. I have some wonderful guests with me tonight for our Browns Roundtable Texans Week edition of the show. Uh, next to me is the uh, one and only Jared Mueller uh, of the Browns Wire. Uh, and also below me is Josh Keatley of the Browns Wire and the Buckeyes Wire. And I should mention that Jared Mueller is top man. Top man at the uh, Browns Wire. Very, very good. Yeah, gentlemen, uh, Jared, how are you? Uh, old, but I'm good to go. Like, we, you know, Mac had me on the fan at nine something at night. I don't know how, how he talked me into that. So this is a lot better into the, the old man time frames. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Josh, how are you, sir? Doing all right. Both both my teams lost this weekend, so it's never never a pleasant, you know. It's, it's all right. Don't bounce back. Don't bounce back. Not good. Yeah, not good. Uh, uh, so let's uh, we're gonna dive right into things. Uh, this is all eyes on Cleveland, presented by uh, Blue Wire Hustle. Mikey's on the one to twos. My name is Brad Ward. I am your host. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Keep coming back. Tell a friend. Keep it moving. We're growing rapidly up over 1,640 uh, subscribers here on the channel, so we want to keep that rolling. And uh, let's dive in, folks. I want to talk Odell Beckham Jr. to start tonight as uh, Stefanski makes an executive decision of sorts to sit Odell Beckham Jr. on Sunday, and he makes that decision on Wednesday or announces it on Wednesday. Uh, made it pretty clear uh, in the press conference, guys, that he didn't want to go through another week of not knowing. He wanted to be able to game plan and run reps with the guys that he knew were going to be out there Sunday. I got the feeling he really did not like that whole let's see if we can go on Sunday afternoon sort of thing. Uh, and that's kind of the feeling I got from it, and he wasn't going to do it again this week uh, if, if Odell was going to be questionable a week again. Thoughts on this, Jared? You know, it's really interesting. It it feels exactly like what you just described, but he didn't have to tell the media. He didn't have to tell anyone that. No, he and didn't. he didn't against Kansas City. And I think what you saw against Kansas City was let's make them game plan game plan for for OBJ. We're not as worried about Houston game planning for him, so we can go ahead and be honest. We also saw that with Malik McDowell. Um, I had inside ideas that he was going to get most of the snaps next to Malik Jackson, but that Andrew Billings was continually going to be looking like the starter and, you know, on the depth chart as a starter and all that. Well, this week they switched and they put it right. So I think there's some gamesmanship going on there for that first week against Kansas City. Um, but it, it is interesting because, uh, as we've been told from a variety of sources, OBJ really wanted to play and the team was going to be really cautious. So um, I think it's the right move to be really cautious with him. I think the only thing they have to be worried about is if they alienate OBJ this early in the season, frustrate him, whatever, what does that mean for the future when it comes to his buy-in and if, you know, if they have a rough week or, you know, any of those kind of things, that's my bigger concern going forward. Sure. Sure. And, and they made it clear that Stefanski sat down with him and, and he didn't really give him a choice this week, you know, uh, and so you, you wonder about that a little bit. The thing, and it was, is clear too, you know, Josh, I'm going to come to you with this, but it was clear too that it was OBJ's decision on Sunday. It was up to him. And he said, I didn't feel comfortable enough to go. So his decision Sunday, Stefanski kind of says, eh, we're not doing that again this week. This week, I wonder how OBJ felt about that. Uh, you know, are they going to go back to letting him? I mean, does he have to be ready by Wednesday for sure for him to start from now on? You know what I mean? For him to play from now on is my question, right? Like, is Stefanski done with not game planning for a guy that's going to be questionable up until Sunday? Because that seems rather silly, right? Yeah, totally. I, I, 
Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I agree with Jared, too, that I think that this week is a little different because they're playing the Texans. You never want to, especially in the NFL, anybody can win on any given Sunday. So this is not a layup game, but the Browns are 12-point favorites, 12 12-and-a-half-point favorites. That's, that's the biggest spread this weekend, tied with the Buccaneers going against the Falcons. Okay, I mean, that's <laughs> this is the largest spread the Browns have had since they've come back since in 1999. So that kind of gives you some insight as to how they view this game. I think the game plan is going to largely just be ball control. Um, I think the Chiefs. I don't. I don't think that it's going to be a a Wednesday deadline for OBJ. But I I think that it just depends on the opponent. And I don't think the Texans. They're taking the Texans as serious as they were taking Chiefs. Um. I guess, yeah, I guess I get that. Here's my here's my other thing, Jared. Uh, I've watched him now for over two months look like he's running and cutting at 100%. Uh, so if they're waiting for him to take contact, he's not going to take that in practice. The first real contact he's going to take is in a game. So what is he really waiting for? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing, you know, normally we usually talk about a year between injury and being able to play. So we're still, you know, whatever it is, eight months now, nine months, even if uh, I don't know the exact time. So I think there's, there's some of that where what you're really talking about from a medical perspective is, you know, the hamstring, the quad, the Achilles. A lot of times when players have injuries or a weakened part of their body, humans, you know, not just players, uh, they overcompensate. So I think what the Browns really are concerned about, and maybe even OBJ is concerned about, we know he takes rehab and his his body really, really seriously. It's why in years past he didn't come back to Cleveland uh, during the offseason is because of what he does to prepare for the season. I'm wondering if it's more of a concern about just some of those compensation-related issues, Achilles, hamstrings, quads, you know, whatever it is, trying to make sure that those things are ready to go, even if the knee is ready to go. I'm not totally sure it's actually about taking hits. Okay. Um, When he says uncomfortable, it makes me kind of think mental, uh, maybe a little bit. Do you think that could be a factor here, Josh? I mean, that's all part of it, right? So you're always going to be healthy before you're mentally ready. You kind of saw, I, I hate to bring up college football, but with Michael Penix at Indiana, he got hurt. He everybody says he's healthy. He's been practicing. He's he's been playing games, starting games. He looks fine, but he is not playing like someone who's fine, right? He's scared, he's scared to get it, take a hit. He's throwing the ball too early. This is a guy who's a very explosive athlete. You know, you saw him against Ohio State last year, breaking tackles and getting a lot of scrambling yards. So I, I just think that there's a, there's a mental aspect to it. I, I think that OBJ. And the training staff, staff and, and Kevin Stefanski are probably on the same page. Dude, you don't want to go until you know that you can take a hit and you're ready to go. Because that's the worst thing in the world is to go out there and not be mentally ready. And then you just kind of have, you know, you get you get banged around and you're just not ready. You just you, you take one step forward but two steps back. You really don't want to do that. Yeah, and I, and I really felt that way that they were kind of in lockstep about everything until this week. And this week made me feel kind of different about it. Like, was Stefanski disappointed that he didn't go on Sunday? You know what I mean? Because it felt like the team was ready for him. It felt like they were gearing up to go week one uh, with all of this, right? They timelined it for that. He says he's uncomfortable. Was he upset with that? Was he upset with the fact that he had the game plan all week with him in the game plan and then switched it to Anthony Schwartz, who did fine, by the way, in that role? Uh, but, I mean, d- is that why he did what he did this week? Do you think any of that is in play, Jared? You know, I don't think it is. I think the Browns look at when do they need him. And at this point in time, you're not, you've got a few weeks until they feel like they need him. So if he's ready for Kansas City, great. Um, but if not, let's just really focus on on winning these games and, and getting to put the energy towards. And I think what you talked about with Schwartz is really important. He played well. I do think those were Anthony Schwartz plays, not OBJ plays. Like I don't think those okay. were just put you know Schwartz in I think those were specific Anthony Schwartz plays so now they're like well we're we're okay here like we didn't even really use Donovan Peoples Jones and he had a great offseason so I think there are just so many things about you know who they're playing and all of that 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 play a bigger role and and for Stefanski it's like hey let's just get this all right let's make sure Schwartz and Donovan Peoples Jones and Landry and everybody else knows what they're going to need to do um, you know, week three has always been kind of the, at least by week three should, 
Um, but if not week four and five, like that's, that's always been kind of the thought process because that okay. gets us closer to that month. Uh, so I just think it's a weird one. And I think because they talk to the media and all that, it, it creates this, you know, what is truth and what isn't yeah. right. We never, we don't always know. And, uh, you know, I had Daryl Ryder on last night and he, and he was, uh, made the comment that although Stefanski doesn't give you much, he's always been very honest with the, he feels, with the uh, media. So you kind of have to take him at, at his word at some of this stuff. So uh, you, you can take that, you know, <laughs> some people may feel differently about that. But uh, either way, um, I w- would agree with the overall overarching theme around OBJ that yes you want him for the playoffs you want him late in the season obviously more than you need him now no matter what so be safe wait it out make sure he's ready I get that I just thought that the way that Stefanski handled it this week was a little bit bizarre uh so worth addressing he also addressed Grant Delpit's uh you know uh designation which uh, is still limited at practice, but said that he has a chance to play. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> one uh, in a million. <laughs> yes, one in a million. Yeah, I think uh, so. Um, Daryl said 50-50, he thought, last night. Uh, do you think he has a legitimate chance? I'm just going to come out and say this. Last week, people were asking me uh, on, a, on a couple different shows whether he thought he was going to play last week. I said, I don't think he's even going to dress, and he didn't dress. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who, uh, you know, played one day before getting hurt again after his last hamstring injury. So you got to be really careful here. Uh, you know, Josh, what do you think uh, about Delpit's chances of getting on the field this week? Man, I don't know. I'm I'm so I, I'm so fifty fifty on it as well. They really need him. I I feel like. It, this uh, when Ronnie Harrison went out, you kind of really saw the lack of depth at safety. MJ Stewart was back there, and honestly, MJ Stewart I didn't think was a liability. And played I know the a lot best of people, game of his career. I thought <laughs> there, <laughs> there, there I you mean, go. seriously, so, he played really well. Yeah, I mean, so for, I, for MJ, for MJ. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I don't think so. It, it ended up being a, there's a, a positive and a negative there, but that's not that's not the ideal situation. At some point, he's got to play. You know. Again, you're playing the Texans. Uh, you don't want to risk anything. It's a long season. Grant Delpit is not OBJ. OBJ is going to be an integral part of this offense and, and what this team tries to do. Grant Delpit, they've been playing without him. They've been successful without him. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see any reason to rush him either just because you're you're lacking the depth that you need right now. I just I don't I don't see any reason to do it. Matter of fact, I, I'd open the door and let MJ Stewart try a little bit more, you know. Move them back there full time to see what happens. If that's what you got to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Ronnie didn't even get to play in Week One, so you'd like to get yeah. Ronnie Harrison and John Johnson together for a whole game at some point here. So, uh, what do you think, Jared? Do you think? Here's the other problem: How does he get on the field? Because you've got Ronnie and John Johnson. So, in what way are you going to get him on the field? The only way I see is potentially that dime three safety look so could that be a way they sprinkle him into action it is you know i'm going to be more cautious with delpa than i'm going to be with obj um you know when what his injury was his age uh and then we talked about need you know i'm i'm thinking more week five or six but it is not what it seems like it's progressing towards but you're exactly right brad is you know where does he play anthony walker's not coming off the field primarily ward uh Hill and uh, Newsom aren't coming off the field very much. Johnson's not coming off the field. Harrison's not coming off the field. So you're literally talking about, well, okay, where do you find him time? Especially if you want to get, you know, JOK a few more snaps, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I think Delpit, you know, he may be someone as, you know, as the Baltimore games are coming along or, you know, some of that where they start to, to really get him going. But I could see him being a player that is active but not playing active but not playing so he gets through all the warm-ups all of that kind of stuff and if needed gets thrown in but but just kind of slow rolls into some of that process uh may you know all of that but i think they have to be careful they invested a second round pick on him ronnie harrison is free agent at the end of this year i think they cannot risk another major injury and, and like josh said injured at the day after or the day that he comes back from a hamstring he gets injured again and so you just have to be really really cautious 
um, for the short and long term because you need a quality player there and you're probably not going to pay for Harrison. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the best. That's that's the point right there, right? Is you need him when if Harrison doesn't come back. If you can't sign Harrison and he prices himself out of what the Browns are willing to pay him, Delpit is that replacement built in already. He was already the future of that position when you brought in Ronnie Harrison. Yeah. You're just you're just recorrecting back to course, uh, you know, and, and Harrison filled a void uh, for a while there. Um, interesting, great point there by you, Jerry. You're watching All Eyes on Cleveland Browns Roundtable. We should call it the Browns Wire Roundtable tonight with uh, Texans Week Up, and we've got the Browns Wire's uh, top man, managing editor, Jared Mueller, and, of course, the wonderful Josh Keatley. Uh, with me here tonight uh, as we are talking out the Browns uh, pressing issues. Let's, uh, you know, I don't want to harp on it long because it's already freaking Thursday. There's a game in like 45 minutes to an hour now uh, to start week two, uh, which I, you know, I got to check my DraftKings lineups here. So, uh, but yeah, um, the, uh, I want to hit on the Chiefs just for a moment since, Mm -hmm. you know, Okay, this is the first show we've done on YouTube this week, so we haven't had a huge chance to address it, but a lot of this has been beaten down. Loved the Browns' offensive aggressiveness. I thought that uh, Stefanski was magical again in his play calling, his preparation. Uh, I thought they did everything right that they really could on offense, except for the freaky stuff that happened in the second half. Um Although defensively is where I kind of... All right, so a lot of people have applauded their approach defensively, and some have questioned it. I'm in the middle, right? I think that the overall approach was right. Uh, They basically played... I've got it here. They played zone 83% of the time. They kept everything in front of them, tried to funnel it all to the middle, which gave them a lot of easy completions and whatnot. The problem is they ended, you know, they were trying to limit possessions and limit big plays, kind of an analytics approach, right? Like, hey, we wanted to hold them to like nine possessions or eight possessions. They got nine, right? They were close to doing it. We needed Mm -hmm. to score seven touchdowns. We scored six. They were very close to doing what they tried to go out and accomplish doing. However, uh, freaky stuff happened in the second half, really freaky stuff. That you can that happens in football games, but more so, I go to the nine for thirteen on third downs for Kansas City, and all of that to Hill and Kelsey. Like, at what point do you bracket this guy or not leave Malcolm Smith one on one with Kelsey <laughs> in an option route? He's gonna lose every single time, Jared. Like, uh, I get the approach. But at some point, take something away. Take one of them away on third down. No? Yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree with you. I think, um, A, I don't know who stops Kelsey on an option route. You know, the way that they, they level their flood packages and, and rotate things around. It's hard to find Hill. It's hard to find Kelsey, especially when you're running zone. You know, I think there's a lot that they do that's like, okay, let's figure out where, okay, we're going to do this because that's going to get Kelsey into, you know, into a zone with this guy or that's going to get Hill, you know, into a zone with this guy. But you're also talking about a defense that, listen, Taki Taki and Mac Wilson played a third of the defensive snaps. Malcolm Smith played a little less than that. He played a quarter of the defensive snaps. You know, at some level, they had four guys that they kind of trusted uh, in pass coverage. So you're talking about the three corners, right? But Newsom is a is a rookie, so trusting is really hard to do. And then you have John Johnson the third. Well, you have to have more than four guys covering, especially against the Chiefs, who aren't going to run the ball for anything. And so I think the Chiefs just picked things apart. And I think what the Browns knew is if the, the Chiefs looked at it and saw, oh, you took away Kelsey and Hill, touchdown, right? That's McCole Hardman, uh, whoever else it might be who didn't do anything. Well, the reason they didn't do anything is they nickled and dimed, mostly except for the YOLO ball uh, yeah. to Tyreek Hill. They just <laughs> yeah. nickled and dimed their way through. Um, but the Browns really believe that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are smart enough that if they would have taken away somebody, it would have been a, a, a deep touchdown. And that, like you said, goes away from the idea of making them kind of take their time on on offense. I don't love it. I, I'm a big proponent of man over zone. Zone's going to get you more turnovers. I think man is going to allow your defensive ends and defensive line to get to the quarterback a little bit more. 
um, but you just risk runs and you you risk you know Tyree Kill just blowing everybody out of the water. I'm just more of a general man proponent than zone, and so Joe Woods is always going to be a guy that I, I give a little side eye to because I'm not sure I love him as a defensive coordinator. Last year he didn't have the talent. This year he does. Very true, and, and you make a great point about Andy Reid, and and, and you, that's exactly what happened. Is they said, "Oh, we don't have to go to McCole Hardman. We don't have to use anybody else because Hill and Kelsey are open on every play, but they're open from five to ten yards, right?" And they just took that all day long, uh, and that's how why they were nine of thirteen on third downs. Wait, but you know, and Daryl made this point last night. They did get off the field when they needed to most, which is an improvement from last year. Josh, thoughts on this? Yeah, so I actually I came away. The defense did not look great. The defense is clearly going to be the issue, the black eye this year again. But the difference between that game and watching Ohio State, you can, <laughs> you can see the gleam of hope in that defense because, like you said, Malcolm Smith was on Travis Kelsey. It, it, there's no way at all that that's going to be the situation at the end of the year. JOK was, they didn't, I mean, he got very few snaps. He's going to be, but you could see his athleticism. You could see his explosiveness. He's going to get more of a role, a larger role. And you're, you're looking at it. That Malcolm Smith guarding Travis Kelsey, that's done. That's not going to, by season's end, that, that role is going to be reserved for JOK. Someone who, who has the explosiveness, the quick kicks, who can hang with him. Travis Kelsey's Travis Kelsey. He's going to get his, but he's not going to get, he, he JOK is not going to get beat like a drum like Malcolm Smith was. The Tyree Kill thing, I don't really have an answer for. You know, you're, he's going to have games where he explodes. He's going to have games where he where he gets nothing. You know, it's it's kind of like he's just very. Uh, you got to get kind of get lucky with it, right? Denzel Ward's good enough to where he's not going to. It's it's going to be okay. So I'm not super worried about that. I'm much more concerned about the Travis Kelsey thing. But like I said, JOK, that's it. That's his role. Malcolm Smith is not. That's not the answer, and they have to know that that's not going to be the answer at the year's end. So that's kind of where I, I sit with it. Yeah, I think you're right uh, in part that I think the per- personnel available to them in week one or what they want to do long-term personnel-wise against a team like the Chiefs they couldn't do because Delpit wasn't there and because it was first JOK's first game. Ultimately, you would want JOK and the three safeties on the field mm-hmm. so you can kind of counteract some of that stuff. So if it's not JOK, maybe it's Ronnie Harrison, right, up in the box guarding him, and you have a much better chance than, than what they did. So I think maybe the next time around when we see him again, they'll be much better prepared for that sort of thing on third downs. I'm totally okay with their approach first and second down, right? It, it, it's It's the third downs where you're giving them easy completions to get first downs, and you're just saying, hey, we're still going to take away the big play. Try to get off the field is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Do something different to get off the field on third down is all I wish wish I saw a little bit differently from, from Joe Woods. I'll leave it at that. Um, how do you guys come away from this game feeling? I'm good. I mean, the reality is, is the Browns look like they belong. And to be honest, the Chiefs had to play a decently perfect game. Like the Browns, I, I wrote it in – the start of one of my articles today is the the Browns could have made one less mistake and possibly won the game, right? Like normally we're talking Browns have to play totally perfect and hope the Chiefs have turnovers, hope the Chiefs lose Patrick Mahomes to an injury, hope for all of that kind of stuff. So without Harrison, Wills, OBJ, Delpit, like the list goes on and on. And obviously Kansas City didn't have Tyron Matthew. Um, listen, the Browns look like they belong, controlled the game. I'm good. Yeah, uh, I feel very much the same way that uh, they looked like the better team for 75% of the day, and, and there was some freaky stuff. I mean, the way they lost was some freaky stuff, and it's kind of it sucks because it's kind of that Browns is the Browns a little bit uh, <laughs> back to you because they found a way to lose a game in a weird way. The YOLO ball, Gillum dropping the punt and electing to try to run with it instead of just – punting it when there's nobody near him still uh you know all of those things uh very frustrating chubb fumbling who never fumbles uh josh thoughts on your browns overall feeling after you leave this game 
I was happy with it. People were messaging me, talking, you know, kind of with that downer attitude, like, oh, man, that sucks. You know, if they, this would have the ball would have bounced this way, we would have won. Yeah, definitely. But that's a good thing because the Chiefs are good. If, the, if Going back into time, who would have thought that we'd be upset about a six-point loss or a five-point loss to the Chiefs? You know what I mean? The Browns beat the spread. The offense looked good. It looked crisp. We're talking about the defense who had, you know, like we just named three guys that didn't play and, and, a, and a rookie who's clearly going to be explosive. I'm happy with it. I'm super – I'm very, very impressed with what they did on the field. Yeah, I mean, me too, especially offensively. They were they were dynamite throughout. Oh, yeah. And uh, Stefanski, you know, he is not going to hold back on this offense and just be content with running Chubb. Some people just seem to think, like, that's what the Browns are. And if they think that's what they are, they're not watching the Browns play because they are so much more than that offensively. Well, and that's why it's hard to trust, right? Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield, we're a run-first offense. We're a run-first offense. And they still ran the ball, but good gracious, they're an explosive passing offense. We didn't even get to talk about Njoku, who uh, has it looks like he's turned the corner in his fifth year and is a dynamic player. Like they had him out wide in a three by one, and like that's just so telling of the talent they have there. That's it, part of the reason I don't totally trust Kevin Stefanski's uh, press conferences. Oh yeah, for sure, that makes sense. I get you there. Uh, watching all eyes on Cleveland. Let's let's uh, you know some good takeaways there. Uh, overall, Browns are up there, and and they need to just you know come out this week. We talked about it that they are twelve and a half point favorites, my, minus six fifty on the money line. I mean, this is a a huge uh, number in Vegas. Um, Baker Mayfield, though. Last thing regarding this game, uh, the Chiefs game. Sorry, I got ahead of myself there. I apologize. I'm going to take it back, rewind <laughs> it for a minute here. Baker Mayfield uh, taking heat uh, from a number of reporters, including some in town. Uh, Tony Grossi specifically, Mary Kay Cabot had a piece as well. Uh, Tony Grossi specifically saying that Baker's inability to end games or can finish games off at the end, uh, clutch-wise, is why the Browns haven't paid him yet. Uh, I find that absurd to say. But Mary Kay went on in her article today, I believe, to point out nine different times that Mayfield has not uh, finished a game-winning drive, five of which ended in turnovers, four interceptions and one fumble. Now, I would point out that there are a number of games that he did win at game-winning drives come to mind the the buffalo game a couple years ago right where he hit higgins in the back of the end zone to win it on the final drive thoughts on this guys is this a uh i'm totally i think this is totally out of whack and i thought he played great uh and i did think he was trying to throw the ball away uh jared do you thoughts on uh if he was throwing it away and is this silliness to be uh coming after him for his clutch gene so um I will probably never agree with those two reporters on anything. And unfortunately I've had, I've had behind the scenes uh, issues, concerns, problems, interactions that uh, created a lot of distrust for me. So uh, I'm going to put that aside to say, interesting. uh, Oh, good gracious. Uh, (laughs) So I will say this, you know, this was a conversation we had about LeBron James, right? Uh, Unfortunately, winning cures everything and people, Oh, he won. Finally, he's clutch. No, he had Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and Mike Miller and all the different people he had when he finally won in Miami. The reality is, is it's even more difficult on the NFL level where you have 22 players, uh, a running clock, a weird shaped ball, you know, it's everything that goes along with it. You know, Cincinnati, Buffalo, there are so many times. And the reality is, is he has a competent team for the first time last year, but he had to learn how to play under center, learn how to change, uh, you know, his feet everything ball handling all of that first year to have a, a a coach for the second year in a row um and he played amazing his accuracy was on point um listen he made a, a poor listen the decision i think he made poor is he tried to throw it over his receiver's head just to make sure there was no intentional grounding but dude just throw it about three yards to the left or right like don't have to be that like pinpoint on your throwaway um, because like he was, he was trying to go over his receiver um, and the, you know, Sorensen, the dirty player he is, grabbed his foot, 
that wasn't dirty at all. I just had to get that in there. Uh, so I think this is much ado about nothing. Clutch is a stupid thing. Um, there is nothing film about clutch and there's nothing analytics about clutch. All that there is about clutch is click, 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 click. I want to talk about something that uh, people are going to be able to, yeah, he's not clutch because it means nothing. So I can argue about it all day long because it has no flipping meaning at all. No different than is Joe Flacco elite. It doesn't mean anything. So you can say yes and I can say no and we can look like morons and, but I can say I'm right. Uh, I apologize for uh, getting a little heated when those two names come up. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. You nailed it. You nailed it. Josh, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that we've all kind of been at the end of the night trying to get squeeze one more article out and eating the clicks. And, and, <laughs> and bashing the quarterback is an easy way, to, easy way to get those clicks, baby. You know what I mean? Like it's just like you said, it's it's just nothing. I don't know what they want. I, it's just like the same people that bash on Lamar Jackson who just won MVP. What what do you what do you want? You know, this isn't like a situation where the Browns drafted Jared Goff, who struggled, who who didn't really win anything at Cal, or you know, let's look at his own draft class, Josh Allen. You know, Wyoming either beat the crap out of people, or they didn't. You know, they weren't even in the game at all. So there was there's no there's no no money on there's no skin in the game. There's no clutch, right? Josh Rosen, same thing at UCLA, right? The so I think one of the reasons why the Browns did take Baker Mayfield is because he did have that edge to him. You know, you saw that in college when he played against Ohio State and when he played at Texas Tech and they were underdogs every game. You know, I feel like he's kind of proven himself to be clutch if, if you want to make that argument. But, you know, yeah. it goes back to the old football adage. It takes 11 people to win, 11 people to lose, man. You know, it's it's just get, get, they're just trying to get clicks, man. That's what it comes yeah. down to. <laughs> man, you guys are killing it tonight. I love it. Jared Miller, uh, managing editor of the Browns Wire and Josh Keatley, uh, writer for the Browns Wire and the Buckeye Wire. Double duty, double L's this weekend. Sorry, buddy. Not fun to write. <laughs> wow. Well, Who's I, hey, killing not, it now? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, th those aren't fun articles, right? I mean, no, it's not. not. Uh, so we can move on to Texans Week now. Let's, uh, let's bring up some graphics here. I got uh, – this is the show, gentlemen. Uh Titans Week featuring Josh Keatley, Jared Mueller. There's the big old Browns wire logo. We love Who's it. hiding uh, behind Jarvis Landry? Is uh, that Baker's head on the scoreboard? That's his eyes on the scoreboard. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> it, if you notice, they're on both scoreboards. Oh, yes. nicely done. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. I like it. The home stadium. You guys see the flag down here. So home opener there, right? Uh, Beautiful. Let's take a look at – this is the uh, Texans – Depth chart, but before we go any further, actually, I'm going to hide this for a moment. Guys, can you name how many former Browns are currently Texans? Is it seven? Seven for seven for Jared? On the roster or starting? On the roster. Well, let's just say in the Texans organization. How about that? Let's say let's say five. You got you got uh, the guard, the arena football guard. What's his name? McCray. You got Christian Kirksey. Who? McCray. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't he starting at guard for the Texans now? Jordan McCray. You'd know about him if you read my articles, Brad. When he I got was. signed with the Browns, I was so stoked because I saw him in person play in the Arena Football League. Hold on. <laughs> Let me even see if he's on this team. First. So, I, before, as we're going, why, Josh, you're starting at the bottom, though. Like, you got Tyrod, right? Tavier, Tavier Thomas. Uh, isn't that where Terrence Mitchell Justin is? Justin McCray played for the Browns? Yeah. I thought Justin he did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Perfect. Yeah, you're right. Justin McCray. Damn it. So, that's four. I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> You kind so of Kirksey, right? Kirksey's five. Kirksey. Where did Kendall Lamb go? No, he went to Titans. No. Yeah, let me get uh, yeah. All right, who we yeah. got, Brad? Who we got? All right, let's take a look. I got it all highlighted. You, you got you got a good number of them here, but but I, I think you're right with the addition of McCray. You may be right, Jared, with seven, uh, which is a big number. Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod. Yeah. yeah. No wide receivers. We got Pharaoh Brown. Yeah. It, oh, yeah, it's worth noting that Darren Fells was there like last year, uh, right. and so was Duke Johnson. So the number would have been even higher. Uh, 
and then it McCray. starts to there's McCray, so let me fix yeah. that real quick. Uh, <laughs> idiot. Uh dude, you don't okay. remember all the ex Browns? There's a freaking million of them out there. I know. I, I missed that one. Good good on <laughs> you guys there. Uh so McCray was a, a whiff on my part, but we're gonna keep going here because there's more. Uh obviously Christian Kirksey had an interception last week. Um and then you got Terrence Mitchell, uh, wait, wait, obviously. Wait. Who was on the defensive line? Did we miss somebody else there? Um, no. I don't think so. Didn't Vincent, didn't Vincent Taylor have oh, a... Vincent Taylor. Oh, yes. yeah, oh my goodness. Dang. Yeah, I, I, I whiffed on that one, too. That it's is hard to remember, man. It's hard yeah. to remember. He's on the uh, IR. Oh, that's why. He's on IR. That's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Or he's, or he, yeah, I think that's what that means, right? Uh, probably. Hey, so does Kirko do like a, a moo cow check or something for the Texans? Or, <laughs> I mean, I don't think Texans check makes sense. So, like, <laughs> like, what is he doing? Like, what's happening? I, I don't know. The originator of the dog check, Christian Kirksey. Vincent Taylor, who actually played pretty well for the Browns in his, in it, you know, he came on at the end, did okay. Terrence Money Mitchell. Played more snaps for the Browns last year than any other cornerback in the NFL. Crazy. Incredible stat. Crazier uh, is Eric Murray got like a $20 million contract and the Browns couldn't get rid of him quick enough. Eric Murray, and let me get this correct uh, here. Hold on. In my uh, number of notes here. Uh, Eric Murray was uh, acquired by Dorsey. Um, was that an Agba trade? And traded yeah, away Emmanuel Agba <laughs> uh, to get Eric Murray, who was a former Chief, which makes sense why fourth round draft pick by the Chiefs uh, played one year in Cleveland. Tavier Thomas, uh, who should never be on the field actually playing defensive back, but <laughs> I don't uh, he, he there he is, and then Tay Davis. I dug through some more. Is on the IR, so I don't know why he's not listed here, eight. but he wow. is on the IR. So I actually, yeah, that's eight with him, uh, with the two that I missed. So pardon me. So uh, here's the thing: if we're playing a Browns team with six active former Browns, yeah, how concerned can we actually be? Like and a chunk right. of them are starting. A chunk of them are starting. McCray yes. and Kirksey are starting. And they're good. They were that. That was their stars. Here's the depth chart. Um, I keep forgetting about Tyron. Why do I keep doing that? Kirksey starting, Mitchell starting, Eric Murray starting. Jeez. Like those were all players that you're like, oh, that'd be nice to have. Or not all of them, but like, oh, that'd be like. Remember those used to be like players you were excited about, and you're like. Now, um, yeah, we got Newsom and Hill and Ward and Johnson and, you know, JOK and Anthony Walker and Baker Mayfield. So nice to have all the replacements that they have for those players. Yeah. Well, see, I, I full disclosure, the Farrah Brown, I, I do think that he's a good player. Yeah. He, well, he's, he's one of those guys. He came with the, when the Browns picked him up, he came in with, he was one of those guys who went undrafted because he had a lot of baggage coming to the NFL. He he was the guy that threw the the the, the weight at the coach. Yeah, if you guys remember, really? yeah. So he, he went undrafted and and, and nothing. We couldn't really stick and had some attitude problems. But I think he's finally kind of. I mean, he was the leading receiver for the Texans last week, and he had some had some bright spots when he was with the Browns. So I think that that might be kind of a Darren Waller situation where, and maybe you know by the end of this year we could be talking about him like, oh hey, Pharaoh Brown, he's I don't want to say an elite tight end, but a good tight end. He uh, and he talked this week, right? He said this week he not really even about the Browns because he's from Cleveland. He wants to basically yeah. shut his family members up more than it's really about the Browns and and any of that kind of revenge, but that he wants to dominate, which I think is just such an interesting thing for someone who you know had a great week one, but last year even wasn't didn't have a lot of stats really. No, no, he he's never been a. I just think that there's something about him. I mean, if you if you remember him going into his senior year at Oregon, he had some first round hype, and then you know things just fell apart because of how he was off the field. Very much kind of like the, uh, you know, the the big defense attack, Sean Oakman from Baylor, or uh, right, 
you know, the linebacker from Arizona State, the Avantes Perfect, same same kind of deal. Um, you know, Oakman end up Oakman end up being a nothing every, anyway, but Perfect was a guy kind of like that, and you know, caught on the NFL. I think Farrell Brown, you know, maybe a late bloomer there, but I guess we'll see. You know, um, yeah, he he was always kind of labeled as the blocking tight end when he was with Cleveland, but he did come on and, and catch some balls later mm-hmm. on and prove that he could catch the ball too. So I guess he's doing that now more with the Texans too, and Justin McCray also starting. So a number of these guys starting, I think we just named like five of them starting for this Texans team. Um, across their offensive line, they do have Laramie Tunsil. Uh, I don't know his age. What's it? How old is Laramie Tunsil? Is he getting up there or no? No, he's still no. young enough, yeah. Okay. He just, he just, you think he's old because he's, this is his 13th. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, right. it's, only, it's only the second team, but it, it feels like he's just been in the out. news so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brandon Cooks, Anthony Miller uh, comes over from the Bears, who had a pretty good year last year, coming on mm-hmm. as a strong wide receiver. And Chris Conley has uh, never really panned out, but a bigger receiver. I, they also use Nico Collins a good amount. Uh, Andre Roberts has a uh, long history in the NFL. See, the thing about this Texans team guy is is that. If you recall free agency, they were going insane, buck wild in free agency, signing every player on the cheap that they could. So it's not a lot of young talent here. It's a bunch of veterans thrown together. And the problem with that is they can win probably more games than the Texans really want them to. I mean, they are the, to to sound like I'm trying to be young, hello, fellow kids, like they're the definitions of mid. Like it is all mid, right? Mark Ingram, mid. Tyrod Taylor, mid. Brandon Cooks, maybe a little over mid. Like Laramie Tunsil might be elite, but the rest of their offensive line, you know, has some, a lot of mid to them. Like it's a lot of mid, like it's not anything like you look at the team. Like I like uh, Whitney Merciless. I like, you know, some of their players, they just lack. And so they went, you're right. They went all in on that middle class, those veterans who will help you not lose games, but dang it, you kind of want to lose games, especially when, you know, the Texans have so few draft picks, like they just traded Bradley Roby to the saints and, you know, you need draft picks and you need those draft picks to be high winning, going Jeff Fisher. Well, you can't go Jeff Fisher anymore. Going eight and nine, isn't going to do you any good it just seems like an organization that doesn't know how to make sense of itself. We've seen it with the Deshaun Watson situation, not to minimize it only football, because obviously it's a lot of junk off the field. It's mm-hmm. just an organization that doesn't seem to have a clear direction that has an ego issue. So they don't want to lose a lot of games, freaking lose the games and figure it out from there. You're not going anywhere with Tyrod Taylor, Mark Ingram, except for eight and nine, nine and eight, maybe in a, if the AFC South is terrible, maybe you fight for a playoff spot, luckily. But long-term, there's there's not a lot to build on around there besides maybe Laramie Tunsil and a few players here and there. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and, I'm going to write that article. Houston Texans, the definition of mid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I definitely like that. Um, all right, so as we look at, at the week, at Texans week some more, let's, uh, you know, Mark Ingram had a big week last week. They gave him the ball a ton. He went over 100 yards, which is uh, was a bit surprising. Yeah, he went for over 100 yards last week. It was like 26 one. carries, though, I think, right? Yep, 26 times, and they beat the lowly uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, who we can hit on real quickly. Uh, guys, let me pull this down for a second. I did want to hit on this just because it's, you know, it's urban and everything. And, and uh, what, I mean, is is he going to last more than a year in the NFL? For me, he took this job for all the wrong reasons, and he has no grasp of the NFL game. That's you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I talked to one of my one of my good friends was on staff with Urban Meyer, and he told me if he if he's going to make it, he's going to have to get the right people around him that have NFL experience because the biggest problem but he with didn't. guys. Go. I'm sorry, but he didn't though. That's that's the point. Yeah. He did not do it though. Good but enough. But they'll give. Him, he's got. I hopefully he figures it out. But the biggest problem you see with college guys coming to the NFL game is they're used to talking to children, right? So when Urban Meyer was 
a dick or not nice to these kids. They were just like, they looked at him as the only way they could get to the next level. He is their savior. So he can say and do whatever he wants, but he's got to learn how to talk. These are grown men making millions and millions of dollars. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the Jason Taylor, Nick Saban story, but Nick Saban got up in Jason Taylor's face and Jason Taylor told him something along the lines of, I know you're not getting up in my face. I make $50 million a year. Sit down, little man. Like, so, you know, that, and that's, that's, Ultimately, that's what led to Nick Saban's failure, you know, Petrino's failure, and all those guys. They don't know how to handle it. Now, I, I think that Urban Meyer's an offensive genius. I think that he, you know, he's got the psych. He, I think he's he checks a lot of the boxes. He just needs to surround himself with people that do the rest. If that makes sense. See, Brad, I'm with you. Is I'm not is totally he? sure Urban Meyer's an offensive genius. I, I think, think Urban Meyer was ahead of the game with a running quarterback in college and then obviously possibly in the pros. I'm not – listen, I think the reality is Urban Meyer was a great recruiter. And his. while I agree with you about some of that with the pro level, I think the biggest issue is that he's a control freak, right? Like he he's an absolute control freak, and college is where control freaks live. Uh, collaborative people win in the NFL. Like that's the biggest difference is you have to work together – you cannot be a, a monarchy. You cannot be an arrogant, I got this all right. Like, dude was mad that he didn't get to meet with players and get to know them before they signed him in free agency. Like, like the guy just has this kind of concept. And again, I'm not saying it's just Urban Meyer. I think it's most really successful college coaches and probably the less successful college coaches still have the same thing is, well, it's all about me. It's not about the players. It's not about collaborating. I'm the reason things are going well, and that's generally accurate in the in the college game. It's barely accurate. Maybe Bill Belichick, right? Um, but we're even seeing last year when he didn't have Tom Brady and didn't have some of those talented players, it wasn't about Bill Belichick. It was about he lacked the talent. It's the Jimmy and Joes, and it's the X's and O's. Nuance is a heck of a thing. Yeah, man. I mean, the reason why I said that, Josh, is Izzy is because ultimately I know he was ahead of his game with the spread offense and the running in, in, in college, right? But has he ever really had to out scheme anybody in his entire college career? No, he's always had more talent than the other side when they've won. So to a point, now when the, now you're, you're, you're deleting his entire career at Bowling Green in Utah, and he did beat Alabama at Utah, right when Alabama was starting to rev up. I mean, I, I, you're, you're right. At Ohio State, he had more talent than their team right. 90% of the time, and he got blown out by Clemson. I and mean, he's got a couple black eyes on his resume. I, I 100% agree with, with that. But, you, but you're not going to hire who, who, what college coach that was promoted to the NFL didn't. You know what I mean? When Nick Saban was hired from LSU, didn't his right. team when he had the most talent? Jimmy oh, Johnson. I, I agree. Miami, that's the you know that's – that's the problem with most college coaches. I get it, yeah, but sure. but the kind of the difference though is if you look at Matt Rule or uh, uh, in uh, what's his name in uh, uh, Carolina, right? Yeah, Matt That's Rule. You're, I was Matt just Rule. seeing where you're going with Matt Rule here in his second year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that he has a better grasp uh, of this whole NFL game than than Urban does at this point, and maybe he'll get it, but he hasn't. Like you said it perfectly when you started. He needed to surround himself with yeah. elite coordinators that could scheme him up ways to win games and keep him in games in the NFL, and he didn't really do that, I don't think. See, so when you talk about Matt Rule, that's a, that's a, you're, you're absolutely right. They're, they're going to deal with different – They're pro, they come from the same place, but their problems are different. That's why you see – that's why every time – if you guys, I'm sure you guys remember, every time the Browns were hiring someone, they were like, let's call Kirk Ferentz. What's Kirk Ferentz doing? Because even though he never won anything, he no, got no national championships at Iowa, that's a program where it's like, well, look what he did with the talent. He was good at developing talent. Exactly. He runs an NFL-style offense, yada, yada, yada. Same reasons why you hear everybody claiming for Matt Campbell. I get that, 100%. But Urban Meyer had – it's just like Urban Meyer is going to be more similar to Chip Kelly. I think Chip Kelly was a good coach. He still is a good coach, okay? But like Jared, you said – he had that egotistical, right? Because he wasn't just the head coach. He had to be GM. Because when he was the head coach, he took the, he took him to the playoffs, took the Eagles to the playoffs. But then he had to be a GM. And then he had to, you know, he had to cut players because he didn't like their attitudes, because he couldn't deal with <laughs> right. the fact that they were making you know what I mean? And now he's back at UCLA. And you see it in this press conferences now where he's like, Well, you know, I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna do what I want. That's how he is, and that's more comfortable for him. So Urban Meyer totally 
100% fail. I just think he has the coaching portion on lock. But in the NFL, you need you just need more than that. You like you like Jared said, it's a it's a collaborative effort. You can't just hire. You know, you know, we talk about Zach Smith being a wide receivers coach just because he loved Earl Bruce and he was related to Earl Bruce, or you know, his 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 daughter's husband was the quarterbacks coach for three years, even though the only experience he had was that he wiped some dude's ass at Capitol. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't do that in the NFL. It doesn't fly. You got it. You got to surround yourself with people that know what they're doing to win. That and that he might struggle with that. I'm completely admitting that. I just Tr- the other stuff. Tremendous. I don't know. Tremendous stuff about Zach Smith there, uh, and then, uh, but yeah, I guess I, I guess I've always looked at Urban as an elite, elite program builder, and I don't know what value that carries into the NFL as much. That's fair, and especially when he is basically gets to tell the GM what to do. You know, um, the owner down there, Shad Khan, wants nothing but a winner. Like that guy is all invested, going to spend the money. You know, I just it's it's a risky thing, right? The reality is, is year one, we're not going to know anything. Year three is really if he gets there. Right. Year three is going to be a big deal. Bluntly, I know it's all coming up because of USC. I think Notre Dame is the only. He's job. Bummed. I don't think he's going to go back to college because he's not going to be able, like you said about his attitude and the way he is. He is not going to be able to handle the NL, NIL. He's not if he's not going to make it. In the oh, NFL, yeah. It's game over because the kid. It's not. He's not going to have the same reign over them he, that he has. And I will say that the, the the guys that you, the college coaches that have been successful in the NFL, like Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll. When you go back and look at their high school, their college tapes, they're always high five, and they're one of the dudes in college, right? I mean, Pete Carroll, half his players at USC were already getting paid, right? So he had professional experience. So you know what I mean, like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So you're, you're right. It's true. I mean, he's, he's right. He's right. right. And he was one of the guys. He, I mean, he's a gym rat. He's a, uh, you know, he was a guy that just one he's of, the, a chill one guy. of the guys. And yeah, very chill. And and it, that translates to the NFL. Because, For I mean, sure. You see him now. He's very intense on the sidelines. But like his players absolutely love him, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't think I don't know if that I don't know if Urban will be able to make that transition. In the NFL, it's a job. They want you to treat you. Hey, I'm your employee. Tell me what to do and get out of my face. In the college, it's not like that. And I don't know if Urban can. I don't know if Urban will be able to let go. That's the thing. It'll be a fun I, story to watch for sure. Oh will. yeah, and and I guess where I was comparing Matt Rule a little bit is when you hear him talk, he seems like an NFL coach already. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of like he comes off like an NFL coach already, but Urban. Like when he was talking in the preseason after that preseason game, he sounded like he'd never watched a preseason game, NFL game in his life before. Like, like that, what, what is happening here? You know what I mean? Like, so it was very, I, I was taken back. Like, has he ever watched an NFL preseason game before? He might not. It doesn't have. seem like he has. He might not. Have. Uh, so, and now he's coaching one. I mean, that's absurd. <laughs> so, I don't yeah, it's funny. It's, I mean, again, it's, I'm I'm glad the Browns weren't desperate again for a coach because Urban Meyer seems like the guy they would have hired, right? Like, if Paul <laughs> De Podesta didn't somehow just get enough of that, like, listen, idiot, like, let's get a real coach, not a name. Like, none of us would have been shocked if Urban Meyer would have been the coach in three years, two years, whatever it would have been. Like, right. hallelujah for competency. Put that on a shirt. Yeah, man. Thank, thank goodness for him, and and thank goodness for Stefanski, because uh, this guy Stefanski gets it on every level, and I think he's going to be here for a long, long time, man. So, I mean, in my opinion, his play calling is already up there with like Shanahan and stuff. I mean, he's he he's got teams on their toes like no other already. So. It's it's literally the biggest concern I had last year that he alleviated quickly is he didn't run wide zone eighty percent of the time. Like he ran duo and power and all kinds Everything. of stuff yeah. with wide zone. And that is literally how, why Shanahan and McVay and those guys are different than any other wide zone people who are like, Oh, we're going to run wide zone. And then that's all they do or mostly what they do. He mixed it up that you're like, Oh, look, I'm going to run out for wide zone. Wham play. See you later. He's going right down the middle of the field. Yeah. Listen, I'm a big fan of who my, my coworkers call him coach 10. Cause he's so attractive. Uh, I'm a big <laughs> fan of, of coach 10. That's awesome. Very good stuff. All right. Uh, so we covered that. I did want to hit real quickly. We're, we're winding down here, but uh, I did want to cover real quickly. Injury report. 
left tackle is a bit of an issue right now, guys. Who do you think is best suited? Do you think they'll actually go? Let me. I, I'm looking at it, and I don't have it pulled up on the screen. My bad. Uh, there you go. Uh, so Anthony Walker appears on the injury report today with a hamstring, but was limited, so I'm not that concerned. Uh, but here we have uh, Wells' ankle did not participate. Hubbard hurt his triceps in the game, did not participate. Who do you think goes at left tackle? Van Pelt today said it's going to be James Hudson. Okay. And uh, preseason, his pass blocking grade at PFF was – 30 something uh yes, i'm scared uh, but at least if they just like you talked about early if the browns or maybe it was josh uh go ball control just run the ball you know just make sure you win the game control the game then they'll run the ball a lot and hudson was a lot better at running the, uh mm-hmm. in run blocking than he was in pass protection but it seems like it'll be hudson with blake hans as the backup because uh, i think michael dunn is still going to be missing some games uh with his back injury there it is um, I was actually wondering if Hans would get the start, to be honest. Uh, I didn't know if, but he, he said that today. He actually said it was going to be yep. Hudson. That's what Van Pelt said. Yeah. And I think with triceps, like, I'll, I'll be honest, that's a, like a weird one to have like a, it is. like, that's like an all or nothing injury normally. Like either your triceps fine or you're screwed. Like that's a really kind of weird, like, oh, he might be able to play. Cause that tells me one wrong block and something's tearing in there. So uh, I'm a little concerned by that. I have no inside information on it, but that just feels like an all or nothing kind of injury. Sure. Absolutely does. Let's take a quick look at this guys. Uh, tomorrow, uh, <laughs> free agent Ruben Foster will work out for the Browns. Uh, according to the athletic, uh, Ruben Foster, 27 years old, uh, worked out with the Jets and the Jaguars already this month, uh, has not signed a contract. He was a star at Alabama, was selected 31st overall by the Niners in 17, racked up 101 tackles in uh, over 16 games in 2017 and 18, was sidelined due to a host of off-field issues. Uh, Washington claimed Foster had never played a snap there in nearly three years. Uh, per the Athletics' Zach Jackson, friend of show, uh, given that Foster hasn't played since 2018, the Browns are probably just wanting to take a look at where he stands on multiple fronts. Browns linebackers coach Jason Tarver coached Foster in Foster's rookie season with the 49ers, which is usually how these things happen. Um, because uh, Jacob Phillips is out until November with that torn peck and JOK, uh, doesn't seem they seem to be easing him into a larger role at this point. Does this make any sense for you guys? Well, Josh, I know you you studied him coming the draft. What's so that go- smile about, Josh? <laughs> no, it's he's he's one of those players where it's like you feel gross rooting for him, but you you, you have to admit, <laughs> you have to admit that when you saw his name flash, oh, working out for the Browns, you went, oh, okay. Because he was phenomenal as a rookie, he, he simply was. He's a great football player. That's that's what it comes down to. He he's a great linebacker, sideline to sideline. He knows where to go to the ball. He's active. He's aggressive. He's exactly what you want in a linebacker. He would automatically, if, assuming assuming he's half the linebacker he was his rookie season, he'd likely be the best linebacker on the on the roster. Assuming that. and that, that's fifty percent of him, right? If they can get the same luck that they have with Ruben Foster that they did with Malik McDowell, it completely changes the defense. Now, with that said, he, it sounds like he's a disgusting human being. So the smile, please take the smile on my face as a, as a grain of salt. This is purely football, you know what I mean? So I, you do you do feel kind of gross about it, but if we're talking just pure football, it's it. You know, in this roster, in this locker room, in this front office, has already proven that they can turn bad eggs and make them good. They can, you know what I mean? They sit on it and it turns to gold. Let's let's do it again. Let's roll the dice, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, as as the mental health professional, I believe in everybody's ability to change. That doesn't mean I have to root for the your ability to change and have to watch it on my team and the team that I cover. To be honest, I had a tweet about Ruben Foster saved in my I'm gonna write this article since I don't know, March or April. And I just couldn't find my, my, my ability to want to write the article because I knew I had a little 
inkling from the Tarver connection that uh, it was likely that they would take a look at him. Uh, just, yeah, disgusting is a good dis- description. I think the other thing, just to just to kind of think through, and again, I'm, I, I tend to puzzle piece a little. Uh, one linebacker in, one linebacker out. Albert Breer reported at the 53-man cut that the Kansas City Chiefs wanted to trade for Mac Wilson. Um, I believe that's exactly how that was was worded or something in that realm. Um, and the Browns didn't want to make that deal. Well, the Browns don't play the Kansas City Chiefs anymore until the playoffs. Is it possible that this is a one-for-one, okay, now we'll trade him for I don't give a crap uh, for Reuben Foster? Um, I don't know, but that's just me trying to puzzle piece because you don't need more linebackers. You need a, 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 a another safety, another corner, uh, another defensive end. You have three on the active roster. Um, where does Ruben Foster fit if you're not moving on from Sione Takitaki, Mac Wilson, Malcolm Smith, one of those guys? Interesting. Good stuff, guys. You guys absolutely killed it tonight. Last question here for you guys. Chiefs at Baltimore, Sunday night football. Three-and-a-half-point favorites, Kansas City is, uh, at Baltimore. Thoughts on this game? Uh, take the Chiefs? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can Baltimore play with the Chiefs like the Browns did? Uh, no. The problem with the Ravens is that they, Wink Martindale loves to blitz, and he ain't got the horses no more. And Patrick Mahomes will pick apart that blitz. We saw Derek Carr pick it apart. What's what's Patrick Mahomes gonna do? It's not and they're gonna and Ronnie Stanley is not that good in my opinion, anyways. But he's gonna be out. So Villanueva slides back over to left tackle. Oh God! Right? They lost another cornerback today. Like they have been the walking wounded. And what's interesting over the last couple of years is their number of games lost due to injury is m- minuscule compared to most teams. And it seems like it's all coming home all at once. I just don't see how this goes well. And I'm a little worried about Lamar Jackson from a health perspective. Um, and I'm worried about him making sure Mark Andrews for my fantasy team does better. Cause I'm on the, I'm in the USA today, te- like fantasy group. And I got destroyed in week one by like a hundred points. I'm going to need something to happen there. Um, so there are some concerns there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I just don't see unless the chiefs just lay a huge egg. Um, but really they didn't play that great of a game against Cleveland. So they have a lot of, a lot to improve on. Uh, I just, I would, I would take the, I would take those points and, uh, shove them into the, right into a chief's bet. Following the, uh, the former Brown storyline, Buster screen was picked up by the Ravens and might actually start. So that, <laughs> that should be, you guys remember his nickname, right? I, did did we give him a nickname? Was it Toast? The screen door. The screen door. Because oh. <laughs> everything gets through. I I always like Buster Screen. I thought he. Was I did too. <laughs> no, I did, I did too. But he's you know he is older now. He's what was that? Six years ago that he left the yeah, Browns for the Jets. Yeah. 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 He did like well for the Jets year. too, though. He played well for the Jets. Uh, he's a scrappy little corner, uh, slot corner, but. He may be a little old for that at this point. Jarvis yeah. Landry's going to slam dunk him into the ground and be like bouncing his head down the freaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. Uh, Jared Mueller, managing editor of the Browns of the Browns wire uh, and uh, top man over there. And then below me down here, over here. Nope. Over here. Uh, it is, I finally uh, figured it out. He's right yeah. there. Yeah, he's right. He's right there. there. Yeah, there he is. Josh Keatley, uh, he writes for the Browns Wire and uh, the Buckeyes Wire. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Josh Keatley sixteen and at Jared K Mueller on Twitter. Uh, and go to the Browns Wire and read all of our work as we all write there. And uh, Jared, more than any of us by far, uh, he writes. That's the uh, job. A, t- a ton of <laughs> articles per day uh and uh so you know go there and and check it out because we uh, need those click 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 yeah clicks. yeah we need to click so you should have wrote a you should have wrote a baker mayfield hit article you would have done really well <laughs> <That's> uh, <laughs> uh thank you guys so much for your time you're fantastic tonight both of you were on point and killed it so i appreciate it what a great show thanks man appreciate you all right see you guys see you 
We're back. My name is Brad Ward. I am the host of All Eyes on Cleveland. That was Jared Mueller and Josh Keatley of the Browns Wire. Go check out their work at thebrownswire.com. I want to say thank you to uh, the two members of All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, Robert Schulner and Nick Farmer. Um, they are the first two to become members over at All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, you can become a member yourself by going to www.alleyesoncleveland.com. Uh, if you want to support the work that we are doing, uh, you can go there to the website that I just named and uh, become a member for just $3 a month or go to the link in the description below and become a member and a patron of the show. You get exclusive content from All Eyes on Cleveland uh, all the time, uh, posting an exclusive content uh, for you guys to take in. You will be, uh, you get a chance to uh, ask questions for the guests in advance, and you're recognized during every show as Nick and Robert just were. Now, uh, let's talk about tomorrow night at 7 p.m., where I'm very much looking forward to interviewing the one and only Nate Ulrich uh, of the Akron Beacon Journal. Nate Ulrich is all over uh, his coverage of the Browns. Uh, one of my favorite followers on, on Twitter, and his coverage is tremendous of the Browns. We will have him on the show for the first time tomorrow night in what uh, looks to be a fantastic interview. So do not miss that. 7 p.m. Friday night, Nate Ulrich joins All Eyes on Cleveland for his first ever appearance on the show. Thank you guys all so much for watching. Hit the like button. Hit subscribe. Keep coming back. Tell a friend. We're growing rapidly. I love you guys so much. Go Browns. And with that... You start getting excited. Brown's gonna get Brown's gonna get on the on the win on the uh, on the winning track this you weekend. You start getting excited, motherfucker. We gotta go. And Troy Hill. They're all eyes on Cleveland. We here. Yeah. Thanks to Mikey on the ones and twos. We will see you tomorrow night. Keep coming back. My name is Brad Ward. It's been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland, presented by Blue Wire Hustle. We are out.